You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you again for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, Lord, your love. And, and today's Friday. It's the preparation day. Lord, I'm, I'm just praying that you continue to bless this camp meeting. We need your presence, Father. We need to hear your voice. And so we're asking that your spirit be here. Once again, Father, we ask that you will open our hearts and open our minds so that we may understand. And once again, Lord, speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Left off yesterday with community, talking about the community. Does your community know that you are there? But more than that, when you go out to your community, do you know what their five-year plans are? Three-year plans, five-year plans. Do you know what their long-term plans are? Have you spoken to your community about what their short-term and long-term plans are? Do you believe, do you think that your community has long-term and short-term plans? How many of you think that they have plans? Guys, they have plans. These, this, these are cities. They're, they're planning this stuff all the time. The only issue is that we're not sitting around that table. We're not in the circle. So we have no idea what the city is planning. Now, if your city is planning to be Come the uh, I don't know the the nation's top cap, cap, uh, top exporter in in marijuana growth, then you can't get involved with that as an Adventist church. But what if what if your city is planning to try to end homelessness over the next ten years? Do you think that your church can get involved with something like that? There's a whole lot of, a whole lot of folks that are, that are, or a whole lot of cities that are working on that, that very thing right now. I just read an article on this uh, a couple of weeks ago, trying to, to end homelessness, trying to work on some of these social issues and social, social problems. Your church, uh, can be a, 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 a benefit to them from, especially from the perspective that we come from, from, from the moral perspective that, that God has, has blessed us with, we need to be in that circle. We need to be in that conversation, asking the question, what are you guys planning? Where are you going? Where is this city going? How can we as a church come around you and begin to support the plans of, of the city? Because obviously they, they have, they have a, a place that they're heading towards. There's, there's a growth plan that, that somebody has put in place and that they're working towards. So, I told you a little bit about the work that we had done in Indianapolis and all of the, the Indianapolis Outreach Coalition and Relove Life and, and looking at, at trying to do personal uh, health ministry all around the city and praying and hoping that we would get a, uh, an RV that we could go around. You know, all these plans that were happening and we were, we were holding huge health events and, and that, caught, that caught the city, the city's eye. They, we, were, we were sitting at the table with them dialoguing and talking about how we could get uh, more involved. Now, we did all this because we were getting ready for Revelation Speaks Peace that was supposed to happen in 2014. So all throughout, throughout 2013, we were doing all of these events in the city of Indianapolis, and the events were so huge that a city like Indianapolis was, was paying attention. In a meeting with them, the, the leaders of the city said, listen, we love what you guys bring to the table, but we're looking for partners that are willing to partner with us for the next 20 years. Are you willing to partner with us for the next 20 years? Or are you fly by night? Are you just coming in to do a few things and then you're done? 
if you're willing to partner with us for the long run, then let's work together. We'll open up the doors of the entire city. What an amazing opportunity. You know what we told them? We told them we're ready to partner for 20 years. We're ready to partner for 20 years. And so we started doing all kinds of stuff, and the Lord was blessing in tremendous ways. We had the evangelistic series. That went fairly well. And then after the meetings, uh, what happened? What do you think happened? Our Adventist laziness kicked in. And we, th- we said to ourselves, Whew, it's been a long year and a half. Let's not do that again for another four or five years. And so we did nothing. We planned nothing Beyond that, and all of those doors and all of those promises that were made to the city, all of that fell away. It was done. All those doors closed. What a shame. What a shame. They practically were ready to give us the keys to the city. Do as you need to, especially with the health arm, and now it's, now it's gone. And I tell you, it's, um, it's actually more poisonous to start these conversations with your city and then back away than it is to not have them at all. And we hear people talk all the time about, oh, but, you know, we need community-oriented evangelism. We're going to start this kind of ministry. Hey, don't start that unless you're planning on, on actually doing it. Don't start that. Don't go out and knock on doors and have this amazing survey of all of the things that you want to offer and then don't do anything for the community. You're just going to cause them to turn away from you. You're going to cause the Seventh-day Adventist church to stink. Don't, don't do it. But you need to find out what are the short, short-term goals, what are the long-term goals of the city. They all have them. Let's get in there. Let's get in that community and figure out what's happening. Have you checked out your website lately? It's amazing what's happening in, or what's happened in the Seventh-day Adventist Church over the last few years. We are just, we are just realizing that the, that the World Wide Web actually exists. All of a sudden, we, we woke up from a drunken stupor. It was like, you know, when, when that... That, uh, that parable of the ten virgins, they all were sleeping. We've been sleeping when it comes to the Internet. I mean, personally, we know it's there because we're all on, on all these social media campaigns. We can't seem to get out of, our, out of our phones. Everybody's like this the entire time. I'm sure that that's going to have some kind of ramifications here in the future. But, but when it comes to our, our, our churches, it's horrible, horrible. I mean, I jump on, on, on our websites all the time, and it, it's, it's as if we don't believe the Internet is there. But that's where folks are looking. Opening night, Revelation Speaks Peace, Calgary, Canada, just, uh, just a few weeks ago. By the time that I started meeting the people on the floor in that first week, they already knew we were Adventist. But we hadn't told anybody we were Adventist. How did they know we were Adventist? They Googled us. They Googled the voice of prophecy. They Googled Revelation Speaks Peace. And they told you they Googled you. I'm talking to folks in the lobby. They're shaking my hand. They're like, yeah, I saw this flyer come in and so jumped on Google and tried to search you guys out. And man, you guys have a lot of things going on. Everybody there knew who we were because they were on the Internet. Except that we're not on the Internet. So do you think that people aren't looking at your, at your, at your website? There's people that are going to your website all the time in your community looking for a church. But what they're finding is something that is ancient, something that is not kept up, something, something that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't seem like anybody cares. Here's the issue. When you portray yourself 
as if it's not important, they believe that the gospel message that you have to offer is not important. You see, Ellen White talks about the importance of, of being able to, to promote the message in its beauty. She talks about uh, halls, renting halls. She says, rent the best halls. Why? Because if you don't, the people that attend will judge the message of the gospel with the hall that you rented. And if you rented something cheap, then they believe that your message is not that important. She talks about that in artwork. This is why we're giving you the tools this fall in Discovering Revelation. And it's some of the, some of the most beautiful art that is out there for evangelism. Why? So that they, when they walk through the doors of your church, they will see that this is completely amazing. Everything is the same. Everything is themed from the, from the advertising and the marketing and the Bible studies that you give and the artwork. That This is a professional job. This work and this beautiful message that they have must be amazing as well. We have to start thinking about this, and it starts for us in our churches. It starts in our website. You have just a few months to, to shape things up, uh, get, get things back in, in, in order, or, or, or just launch it. A lot of us were, were fine with adopting the free websites that the NAD put out there for us, and they've been looking like that forever, ever since they did it. That's not going to cut it. You're going to have to find some way to get a website going up there. Grab your teenagers. They're all over the Internet. Empower them to design something for you and knock out a decent website for you and then keep that thing active. You want to look like an active church. A friend of mine uh, some time ago, he said, a growing church is an open church. We, we open our churches from about 10 a.m. to about noon on Sabbath. Maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later, but that's about it. How are you going to grow your church when you're never open? You've got to open the doors of the church. It's the same thing with your website. You need to open the doors of that website. They need to see that something is happening. They need to see activity. They need to see that this, this church is moving and shaking all the time. We want to be a part of something that's exciting and something that's moving. That's what people want to be a part of. Is it inviting? Is it up to date? Is it dynamic? Social media. I hate social media with a passion. I just can't stand social media. But that's because I was in law enforcement for many, many years. I don't want to tell anybody where I'm at. I don't want to be taking selfies of myself and showing that, hey, I'm here with my family right there. My house is empty. Go ahead and break in. I, I, that to me is, is, is just insanity. But the world is on social media. And if the world is on social media, we have to acknowledge that they're there and that's where we're going to have to be as a church. So what are you doing for your social media and your church? Do you have social media accounts? Yes, pastor, we have a social media account. Fantastic. Are you actually posting on that thing? Are you on there on a regular basis? Are you putting stuff in there? Are you making invitations? Are you making appeals? Are you inviting people to Bible studies? Are you dialoguing with folks? What are you doing with your social media accounts? You have to keep these things active. That's where the people are. Uh, just, uh, just a few years ago, I remember, this is a while now, but I remember I was, uh, I was at a church and one of, my, uh, one of my teenagers, she was sitting on a bench and she was going to the academy, something similar to this. She had an iPad, and I said, what are you doing with that iPad? What are you studying? She's like, oh, I'm not studying. I'm on YouTube. I was like, really? YouTube? And right about that, that time, I had just 
read an article from, uh, from a young man. He was a college guy. Uh, it was like Popular Mechanics article or something. And, and he said in that article, he says, YouTube has become more TV to me than TV ever was. I think that that's the reality for, for most of us now. He said, YouTube has become more TV for me than TV ever was. And think about yourself. I mean, think about what you need. When, when, you, when you need to repair something, do you go buy a manual? You go to YouTube. And then you're angry when the YouTube, somebody hasn't made a YouTube video about it. It's like, come on, you know, everybody should, should know how to repair a vacuum cleaner. I mean, it is just, so we, we go to you, everybody is on YouTube. Is your church on YouTube? Talking to, uh, to Mark Finley uh, just, uh, just a few years ago, I took a, a youth group out to, uh, to his uh, sort of retreat out there, and, and they did some amazing training. And he introduced us to a young man that works in his church. And that young man said, when we first started putting Mark's sermons on YouTube, we were getting hardly any hits, 2,000, 3,000, something like that. He says, but then I started studying it and I found out that there were a few key things, few easy key things that you have to do to these videos in, hor in order to get, to, to get people to watch them. And so he says, for every video, we, we do that. And we even tell Mark, this is the way you need to start your sermons in order for this to work. And that's what he's done. Man, Mark's getting 100,000, 500,000, a million hits on his sermons on a regular basis. Not only that, but you realize that when you do that, YouTube pays you back. So they have, in, in their church, they have new camera systems, a, a whole new suite of, of, of electronics, all paid for by YouTube because people are watching the videos. Hey, you know, take, take advantage of what the Lord brings you. But there, there are places that you need to be, and your church needs to be on all these, all these platforms. Telephone, if you're like me, when you call somebody, you want them to pick up, right? I, I, I hate calling companies, and it's like, well, if you'd like this, uh, this option or that option, you know, press one, two, press three, and then uh, try calling the IRS, by the way. 45 minutes later of pressing what the option is, then it says all circuits are busy, call back tomorrow. Ah, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I just about lose my religion. But who's answering your phone? Do you have a phone? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a new, it's a new day and age. You know, nobody uses phones. Everybody uses phones. Everybody that's impatient like me uses phone. I'm not going to send you an email. Why? Because I'm the type of guy that, that can't sit around and do something else unless I take care of the thing that needs to be done right then, which means I, I need to find you. If I can't find you, I'm going to call your wife. If I can't find, find her, I'm going to call your children. Then I'm going to start hunting. I may even call your job to see if they know where you're at so I can get on. Because I can't go on unless I get this question answered. I just can't go on for the rest of the day. Do you think I'm the only one in the world that's like that? Absolutely not. People are calling your church and they want to speak to somebody. I mean, this is basic customer service. You love companies that you call and all of a sudden they're answering and somebody's smiling on the other side of the, of the phone. You just love that. Because, because they're human. People are looking for human interaction. You want to make a great impression in your community? Open up your phone line. Have somebody answering that phone. But we don't have an office secretary. Well, get a cell phone. Put a schedule on and let that cell phone be passed every week to somebody that's on call so that they can answer the phone all the time. You can answer the questions of the church. Do something so that the community can hear that you are, that you are on. And if you have an answering machine of some sort, check it. 
Return your messages as soon as possible. I hate leaving messages, but I do when I have to. And it's awesome when like five minutes later, I get a call back. It's like all of the anger that I had that they didn't answer the phone, it kind of goes away. It's all redeemed. Why? Because they called me right back. Oh, what beautiful people. There's so many that are out there like that. We've got to start answering our phones. And what about your facilities? What, what do your facilities look like? Remember what we talked about yesterday. Man looks on the what? Outward appearance. He looks on the outside. This was a warning from God. God looks at the heart, but man looks on the outside. Know that when they come to your church, they are looking at the facility. What does the church look like inside and out? Is it horrible? Is it old? Is it smelly? Does it, does it, uh, does it conjure up thoughts of asylums or does it conjure up thoughts of the grocery store when you walk into Kroger and go into, the, into the, uh, the fruit and vegetable aisles and the water has just kind of sprinkled on it, everything looks fresh and inviting. What, what does it look like? People are, people are looking at this. As soon as they walk in, I, I, I sleep in so many hotels that I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just a hotel snob right now. If I've got to do it out there, I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to go into a hotel that I feel comfortable in. I've gone into hotels that I had a reservation on, and as soon as I walked into the lobby, gone to the desk and canceled my hotel without even having another reservation anywhere and sat on the car with my phone for 20 or 30 minutes, even if I have to drive an hour to a hotel that's, that's, that's clean or looks clean, I'm, I'm willing to do that. People are going to do the same thing with your church. As soon as they pull up, they're going to judge your church. How easy was it for your church to be found? I, I just, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was, <laughs> I was out, out to, well, I won't tell you where. But I was out looking for a church. I, I put the address in the GPS, and I, and I pulled up to a, to a sort of an outside mall area. And I couldn't, find, I couldn't find the church. In fact, I thought I was confused. I thought I, was, I, thought I had put the, wrong, the, put the wrong address in. I was like, you know, here's, here's a subway, and here's, a, here's, here's this other store. And, and so I turned around, and I left that parking lot, and I put the address back in the GPS, and it took me right back there again, and I was going to turn around and go back out, but then cars came behind me, and I couldn't get turned around, so I made a left into the store, into the into these other strip mall stores. And I thought to myself, okay, I'll turn around here, but the cars followed me in, so I thought, oh my! So I had to go all the way down so that I can somehow get turned around on the back side. And when I got all the way down, I looked up, and there was a sign for a Seventh Day Adventist church in that parking lot. That is the worst place to put a church. And, and then to make it worse, there were only two parking spots there. And the pastor, he had marked one for me. And all the other places said something about your car will be towed if you parked here. And so I walked into the church and just asked them, I said, how are you guys planning on growing this church? Where are they going to park? Do they drive in this town? Do you guys have cars? Yeah, they have cars, but nobody, nobody can park there. I mean, what does your church look like? I was looking for another church one day, and I could see it from the interstate, but I could not figure out how to get there. And finally, I called the pastor, and he was like, oh, it's really weird. you got to just go down the street, and you got to take this, take this one turn, and you got to come around here. and find. You could see it from the road, beautiful church, but you can't get to it. You know what you need to do with that church? Sell it. Sell it. Oh, pastor, you don't, you don't know. 
you, my, my, my great-grandfather, he laid that brick right there. Look, God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. It's going to burn, guys. We need to place our churches in areas that they will be a shining light to people, that people can get there, that they look beautiful, that they're willing to come. Sell the church. Sell it. Find a location that is going to be functional, is going to be uh, beautiful for the people that are going to come. And you're going you're to find that your church is going to grow. Um, what does it look like inside? You know, I walked into a prominent church and uh, went into the sanctuary, beautiful sanctuary, but they had, um, right on a column like this, they had, they had this plastic that was just from one end to the other and they had, they had duct tape. Uh, and I thought, well, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting. And I had just walked into the lobby, and, and in the lobby, it was a beautiful lobby. You walk into the lobby, and it's just very, very open. But whoever designed that only took the walls up so far, because they had sort of rooms that had come in. They only took the walls up so far, and then they sort of put an open space, uh, kind of a floor up, up uh, above these walls. Someone in, the, in that church had decided, hey, this is a perfect place to store our VBS stuff. And so all of it had become storage. You walk into the lobby and it's all storage. And it's not blocked. This is, this is what you see when you walk in and then you walk into the church. And, and it's a prominent church, by the way, but you walk into the church and they've got this plastic on it. So I remember I was training in there, a bunch of pastors, and I said, can I just ask, can, do you mind if I pick on your church? I talked to the pastor. He and I knew each other well. And, and he said, yeah, yeah, pick up my church. I said, can I, how long has that plastic been there? Oh, Pat, that's, that's been there about three months. I said, why? Oh, we had a leak? I said, you don't know how to fix a leak? I, I mean, people are going to come see this the way that you treat the temple of God is the way that you treat the Bible. And so they're going to walk away. And treat the people as well. How, what does it look like inside? You, you need to take care of this right now. You're going to do these meetings. People are going to walk through their, the doors of your church. As soon as they walk through the doors of their church, if they see stuff like that, they're going to walk away. <laughs> You, you've got to change this. Evangelism, page 76. In some places, the work must begin in a small way and advance slowly. This is all that the laborers can do. But in many cases, a wider and more decided effort might be made at the, uh, at the outset with good results. The work in blank might now be much further advanced than it is if our brethren at the beginning of the work there had not tried to work in so cheap a way. If that does not, if that does, does not uh, make us shiver a bit, because that's the Adventist way at times. It's the cheap way. It's not about the best way. It's about the cheap way. How can we do this the most uh, cheapest way possible? If they had hired good halls and carried forward the work as though we had great truths, which should surely be victorious, they would have had greater success. God would have the work started in such a way that the first impressions given shall be, as far as they go, the very best that can be made. We've got to make the first impressions the very best that can be made. Talk it out with your church. You have four or five months. Uh, maybe less than that, before, before the meetings start, before you get folks coming into your churches. Uh, for those of you who are planning on preaching the message in your church and you're not using a rented hall, you've probably got less than that. You need, you need to get these churches fixed up as quickly as, as possible. Uh, areas of first contact, the facility, we talked a little bit about that. Is the church inviting? Is it prominent? Uh, can, you, can you find it? Can you find the front door of your church? 
I can't tell you how many churches I've gone to and I can't find the front door. And what looks like the front door is not the front door because they blocked that front door years ago and they decided not to put it there, so now it's on the side, but nobody knows how to get in. Again, get rid of that church. It's not serving you at all. What's the access? Is it easy to get to? Is it easy to find? Is there plenty of parking? If you look at some of the, some of the numbers out there, they tell us that the parking uh, for churches is one, one spot for every two and, two and a half people in attendance. But in the Seventh-day Adventist church, I have found that that's not the case. It's more, more like, uh, like one to two. We have, as Seventh-day Adventists, tons of cars. We love cars. And everybody wants to drive to, to, to the church. Uh, even in my own family, my son has got to do audiovisual, so he takes off with his car. My wife, she's taking care of the four-year-old, so she can't quite get there, but i got to go teach Sabbath school, but I'm supposed to be there just a little later than my son was, and I got involved with something else, so he takes off early, then I take off in my car, then my wife follows in her car. Before you know it, we have three vehicles at the church. That is just the reality, and that's what you're going to find in in our Seventh-day Adventist churches. If your interests come to the church and the church is full and they can't find parking, don't think that they're going to say, I'm going to go down the road and I'm going to park a little bit and then I'm going to walk to the church. They're not going to do that. They're going to find another church. You need to have enough parking for your church. Say so, what? Well, a good restaurant they might. A, a good restaurant they might, yeah. But remember, this is first impressions. They are just getting to know you. They're, they're just, you know, it's, it's, and even it's frustrating, too. You're, you, you've got all this stuff. You've got all your potluck that you're supposed to bring to the church, and now you don't have a place to park, and, and it just, it's just frustrating. Everybody gets frustrated. Make sure you have enough parking. Oh, we don't have enough parking. There's nothing we can do. Great, sell your church. Get rid of it. The church has outlived its usefulness as far as a physical facility for you, find one that you, can, that you can have. But they're so expensive. Who cares? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Did we forget that? All of the property in this world belongs to who? Belongs to God. If you have a vision and you have a plan and you know what you, where you're going to go and you know what you need, bring it to the Lord in prayer and guess what He's going to do? He's going to get it for you. He's going to get you what you need because it belongs to Him. So give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, this facility isn't working. We need another facility that is going to do what you want us to do. And God's going to, going to be faithful because that's what He is. He's a faithful God. Uh, is it defined? We've gone through that again already, so not going to, not going to belabor that point. Um, this aesthetics thing, uh, is it clean, manicured outside? Is it fresh and inviting inside, grimy, dark? Just, uh, I, I told you that I was working on a bridge event on mental health that's going, going to go national uh, next year from April 4th through 6th. I was reading a book on suicide um, in part of the research that I was doing for this, and I found this quote. I thought it was amazing. This is a book called The Suicide Solution, page 185. Our environment can promote or discourage social interactions. And inviting safe, well-lit, and comfortable space tacitly invites people to slow down and enjoy each other and subtly encourages them to stay longer once they've made a connection. This kind of social support has a profound impact on well-being. Also, researchers know that brightly lit rooms, natural or artificial, influence positive outcomes with those who are facing depression, agitation, and sleeplessness. Conversely, a cluttered, smelly, dirty environment promised people to treat their surroundings with even more disrespect, and this can spill over into relational disrespect. 
In an atmosphere of disrespect, those who are struggling to overcome their destructive narratives have even more of an uphill climb. Isn't that fascinating? Our churches may be doing harm to people just in the color that we've decided to paint the walls or the carpet that we have allowed to stay on the floor or the smells that we've just refused to, to, to clean up. We could be doing more damage than good in our churches. It's time to clean those things up. Let's make our church in, churches inviting. Let's make them clean. Let's make them smell good. You want people to, to walk in there and want to stay in there. And of course, as I said, they judge the message and they judge the people, as you mentioned, based on that. It is important to remember that Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, consider the sparrow, consider the fig tree, consider the seeds sown along the path, and on and on. He is always pointing us to our physical environments, urging us to pay focused attention to the lessons it is teaching us and its influence on our soul. We love to go outdoors, especially in Colorado. We love the mountains. Why do we love that? Why do we love to, to hang out with the flowers? For those of us who are not allergic to the flowers, it's all beautiful. It's all, we, we, we are able to breathe there. We, feel, we just feel comfortable there. And that's the way that your churches need to feel. And if you're not there, again, you have just a few months to get that going as we get these evangelistic meetings ready to go in the, last, in the next uh, few months. Uh, seating. Seating is the same as parking. Seating is the same as parking. If people come into your church and it is full and there's nowhere to sit, uh, do you think that they're going to stay? No, no, because um, we, we don't love each other that much in, in the world today. Uh, everybody wants their space. And so if you get to about 80% capacity, then you've got to figure out something to do. Either you have to go to a second service or you have to find another facility. You, you need to do something. There's need, there needs to be some space in between uh, people and families as, as they sit. Again, they need to feel comfortable about that. The people. Um, every single church, every single church has individuals that, um, how do I say this? Every single church has individuals that May, may not be the right people to put at the front when people come through the doors. There are people that, um, that something, something in their childhood, something through their, through, their, through their growing up, they just never really learned how to, how to smile this way, you know? They, they're just bitter. And that's not what you want on first impression. There are jobs for those people to do behind closed doors somewhere. There, there's, there's a place for those people to go. I mean, we want to work everybody. Don't put them in the front. As soon as somebody walks in, you want your most awesome uh, people, people sitting in the front, bringing people in. Don't put the guy that has a quick temper out in the parking lot trying to help people park. Because that quick temper is going to go off on somebody when they start putting, pulling into a parking spot that, that, that they didn't want them to park or going in the direction that they weren't supposed to go. I was at a church the other day and, and they actually put arrows down on the, on the carpet. So they have arrows going this way and then they have arrows going that way. And, um, and in their minds, they did this because it was during COVID because they, they expected everybody to follow those arrows. And I noticed as I was looking, as I was looking around, I noticed that nobody follows those arrows. <laughs> They're just going all over the place. So I got up front and I said, hey, how are your arrows working out? 
I probably shouldn't have said that. That was a little, a little tense moment there. But if you've got a deacon that's really, really upset about those arrows, you're going to have a mess. I mean, there, there are people that don't belong in, in, in places and positions in our church that, that have to do with dealing with other people. Their, their gifts may lie somewhere else. Put them somewhere else and, and put the people that have great people skills, that have great smiles, so that the first impression and that the constant impression is fantastic. They need to be clean. They need to be cordial. They need to be friendly. They need to be kind. They need to be real. They need to be informed. I hate going into a church and asking a question and the, and the person's like, oh, I, I, I don't I don't know where the bathroom is. <laughs> it's like, make sure, make sure that your people have the information that they, that they need. They must have a smile and they must love people. Um, intentionality. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a big one. Um, intentionality. Do you know that churches grow because of intentionality? This is how you grow a church. You intentionally grow a church. Uh, let's talk a little bit about friendliness. Uh, I, I've gone to many churches and they come to me and they say, Pastor, this is one of the first things that, they, that, that, that people tell me, by the way. Pastor, we have such a friendly church. We have such a friendly church. God has blessed. And I always, I always uh, return that statement with, with this question. I, I say, tell me, what are the intentional steps that you have taken to become a friendly church? Oh, well, uh, Pastor, we, we just, we just, we're just friendly. We have lots of smiling people. If that's the only answer you have to that question, I, I'll just tell you right now, you're not a friendly church. You may think and feel that you're a friendly church, but you're not a friendly church. Because becoming a friendly church takes intentionality. It's like becoming a, a, a house of prayer. How do you know that you're a house of prayer? Because you intentionally sat down and you talked it over with your church and you made intentional decisions about becoming a house of prayer. Then, then you grow towards becoming a house of prayer. How do you become a friendly church? You intentionally sit down with your board, with your leaders, with your church, and you put a plan in place, a system in place to become a friendly church. Anything less, less than that, it's not going to be a friendly church. It might be a friendly church to some, but it's not going to be a friendly church to all. Some years ago, I got a... We got a letter at one of the churches that I was attending, and it was a truck driver. He, uh, he was an Adventist guy that, that um, drives the trucks, and, and every, every time he gets to a Sabbath, uh, he just pulls over at the city that he's at, and he goes to the local Seventh-day Adventist church. He had come to our church, and, um, and he wrote us a letter after that. And he said, hey, I am so-and-so. I've been a Seventh-day Adventist my entire life, and I drive trucks. Just wanted to let you know I was there on Sabbath. When I got there, nobody greeted me. I didn't know where to go, but I kind of felt my way around. I eventually found the, the sanctuary, and I sat in there. I listened to the sermon. After it was all said and done, I could, hear, I, could, I could hear people going to potluck, and I could smell the food, but I didn't know exactly where it was at, and nobody invited me to go. And after a while, and standing around and looking a little foolish, I decided I'm just going to go back to my truck and, and uh, wait for the Sabbath out and, and then head on out. I'm just writing you, he said, to let you know that I'm okay, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for a long, long time, you've not shaken my faith, but I bet there's a bunch of guests that come into your church that don't come back. That was, that was like a, a knife blade. I was talking to, um, to a, a pastor one day, a president, and, and he shared the story of, of uh, having an emergency one Sabbath and needing to jump in his car and head out, and so he did that. 
And because he didn't think he was going to be able to make it uh, to church on, on that Sabbath, because of the emergency, he just threw jeans on and a, and a T-shirt and a, and a uh, leather jacket. But as he got down the road a few hours later, he realized, man, this trip went a whole lot faster than I thought it would. He got, had gotten up early in the morning. There's a local Adventist church here. I think I'll just stop in that local Adventist church. He walked into that church. He sat in the back with his jeans and his leather jacket. Nobody talked to him. Nobody said a word to him. Nobody, nobody greeted him. When it was all said and done, it was just like the same thing. You know, you could smell food, but you... So he got in his car and he, and he drove away. Ten minutes later, his, his phone rings. And it's one of the ladies from that church. Elder, w- w- were you at our church? Yeah, actually I was. Oh, Elder, please come back. We've got a, we've got a, we've got a potluck and we'd love for you to be a part of that. He says, ah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in a hurry. I'll, I'll, I'll try to stop by again one of these days. How embarrassing is that? Your own president doesn't even get recognized and, and, and doesn't get greeted. We, we need to change that because if it's happening to, to these folks that are Adventists, it's happening to not Adventists. You're going to have people coming through the doors of your church and you need to have an intentional plan. How are you going to handle everybody that walks through that door? What's your process? What's your system? You should have people ready to, to attach to the people that walk through that door as soon as they walk through the door and stick with them the entire period of time until the church is over and everything gets closed up. When you, when you do that, then it's intentional. I'm running out of time where I'd tell you more stories, but let's keep on, let's keep on going. Um, that was, uh, let's see, I'm just going to keep on going here because... That describes exactly what I was just talking about here. Um, all right. Areas of contact, your guest book. What are you doing with your guest book? How many of you have a guest book in your church? What are you doing with that guest book? It just sits there, collects dust, has lots of names. Introduce people. Okay, what do you do after that? Perfect. We, we, unfortunately, don't get too many guests, okay, okay. You need to have a follow-up plan with these guest books of some sort. You know, they're, they're not just there for pretty, so you can put them on the shelf later on and say, look at all the guests that we've had over the next, last 50 years. Those are leads. Those are names. Those are individuals that when you have a meeting, that when you have a cooking class, when you have whatever it is that you have, you're going to go straight to that guest book and you're going to mail them. Those are books that you need to be, be contacting them on a regular basis. I went to a church some years ago. I was, when I was pastoring, every fifth Sabbath, I would, I would just pick a church to go to in the conference. And I, it was in Indiana. Uh, I still remember it to this day. So fifth Sabbath, I wasn't supposed to preach. I took my family and we went down south and I went to a church. The pastor I was going to see. I didn't tell him I was coming, and he happened not to be there. He had a multiple church district. He happened not to be there, so I was there without him, but we enjoyed the church anyway. My kids went to the Sabbath school class, and after, uh, after a few months, I was at the house, and we got a card in the mail, and that card was a birthday card to one of my kids from that church. Every single year until we left the Indiana Conference, I received a birthday card for all my kids on their birthdays. The only contact that we had with that church is we had gone once and the kids had been in that Sabbath school one time. Wow. Imagine if you did that with your guest book. Imagine if you contacted them 
on a regular basis. These things are out here not for us to just collect dust. They're out here because they're leads. Work those leads. Make sure that you're contacting them. Maybe make a plan of every quarter. Send them something. Send them a magazine. Maybe every six months. Let them know that, that you care. Let them know that you're, that you're here. Invite them to your, to your things. Uh, let's see. Data gathering is, is absolutely important. Um, all of these folks that come to your events, your pre-events, make sure that you are gathering the data. You need to find out who they are. If you have not found out who they are, uh, that's what we did in Calgary, Canada, man. We spent, and I told you, they're, they're socialists up there. They don't want to give you their, their data. We spent 30 days trying to identify people. The entire time we're trying, we're talking to them on the, on the floor. I, I finished preaching, I'm coming down there and I'm talking to the people on the floor. They're giving me their names, but their names don't show up in our SRS system. That's a student record system. It's not there. They haven't put a registration in. You, you've got to get to know these folks. Get to know them, get their data. And that's really, really easy to do. I heard you guys talking in the last class about, about not wanting to offend people when, uh, when you ask them their information. You, know, you don't have to offend people. You just come up to them and, and shake their, their hand and give them your name and say, hey, what's your name? You just got their name. That's piece of data number one. Then they say something to you in your conversation and they're, they're like, this is really, really interesting. And maybe they, they ask a question about something, whatever it is. And, and you can answer questions immediately or you can say, hey, that's a really, really good question. Listen, I've got something uh, that really deals with that uh, really well. Hand me your, hand me your email and I'll, I'll email you or, or give me your number. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you with this, with this, uh, with this book or, or whatever it is. People are, are going to give you their information just like, like this. can't tell you how many times I did that in, in, in Canada. I was, I was carrying a little notebook around. You know, every, every time they give you all the pieces of information, you just write all that down. Before you know it, you know everything about this individual because you've been just kind of getting... You don't have to say, okay, oh, hey, I've, I've got this registration. I need, you to, I need you to fill that out. Don't do it that way, but you can, you can gather this information, but it's important that you gather this information. Protecting the guests. Um, uh, man, I, I'm out of time. But let me, let me just say this. Don't let the wackos get to your guests. <laughs> we have a lot of wackos in our churches today. And um, here's, here's what I'm going to beg you. Have follow-up ready for your meetings. As soon as the meetings are over, make sure that you are ready to transition all of these guests into something that is not general population Sabbath school. Don't put them into your Sabbath schools. Why? Because your Sabbath schools at church are special. And they're not, uh, folks are not quite ready to enter that special Adventist environment. Your folks in there, some of your folks are going to drive them away. Have a Sabbath school ready, a pastor's class, a new believer's class, a Bible marking class. Have that ready for, for folks to, to come into. Um, let's see. Protect them from the speech. A little bit. Uh, make sure that everybody understands what you're saying. Not everybody understands SDA lingo. Let me talk about plant safety for just a moment um, because this is the reality, reality that we live in. Uh, we live in a time of predators. We live in a time of mass violence. We live in a time that we need to talk about plant safety. And do, if you think that the Seventh-day Adventist churches are immune from violence, um, you're, you're, you've got something coming. We live in a sinful world. It's just a matter of time before we get hit in one of, our, one of our Adventist churches. You need to start thinking about how to protect your, your facility. 
what kind of entrances and exits do you have? Which ones do you keep open all the time? Which ones do you, do you need to close down? And one of the churches that I pastored, there was one church way behind, or uh, one, one door way behind the, uh, the, the auditorium or uh, sanctuary uh, that was out in the middle of nowhere. And if you went through that door, it, it, it was right next to a sidewalk that was not, right next to a four-lane road. You could have a child go through that or have somebody come through that door, grab a child and be out that door before anybody knew that that uh, that, that child was gone. Hours later, you're looking for that child. We, we decided that, that that door didn't need to, didn't need to stay open. That, there's no reason for that door to open. In fact, there's no reason for that door to ever open unless it's an emergency. So we, we talked about putting an alarm on that. Think about your facility. How's it structured? Where's people, where are people coming in? What, where are people going out? Watch all of this stuff. I've had questions from folks that have said, man, all the stuff that is happening in the world, and uh, it's a violent world, and, and we're thinking about arming the deacons. <laughs> really? You're going to arm the deacons? Listen, guys, when I was in law enforcement, I spent hours, 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 and days in the field basically becoming one with the tools of the trade. Most of your folks have not spent that kind of time. It's, it's, it's dangerous. You're going to get somebody killed. Oh, no, they do a four-hour class. A four-hour class? Yeah, that, that'll take care of it. Yeah. Listen, it's not, it's not even a conversation. Either, either they're going to shoot somebody um, that uh, one of their own members... Or the gun's going to get taken away and be, and be used to, to, to shoot other people. It, it, this, this, is not, this is not a solution. We have to talk about solutions, but that is not, that is not the solution. But we do need to get into these conversations, and as you start thinking about bringing people in to the church, then you need to, you need to keep this in mind. Why? Because everybody is really freaked out right now. And if you're a, if you're a family of, of, of small children and you walk in and you don't see that this is an, a safe environment, you're not going to keep your kids in this church. I'm, 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 I'll tell you right now, I will walk out of a church. If, if I walk in and I smell something that is not right, if, I, if I'm looking and I'm saying, oh my goodness, that's the kids department. They're letting anybody and everybody walk into the kids department. Do you think I'm going to put my kids in there? There is no way I'm going to put my kids in there. And everybody's starting to think that way. So you need to start thinking about how can we make our, our churches much safer. Um, protect the speaker. I'll just, uh, a little thing for the speaker as they're, at their, as they're preaching evangelism. There are church members in your church that as soon as the pastor is done preaching his, his series, they're going to want to go up, up front and start talking to the pastor immediately, every single night. Every time they do that, they're taking time away from the guests that are coming. You may need to put an elder or a deacon to sit next to that church member so that as soon as the pastor is done preaching, they start dialoguing with this individual and keep him from running up to the pastor. Because we've, we've got to get the opportunity to speak to, to our guests. This happens so much in Canada to us. Oh, it was, it was just crazy. Um, a couple of more and then I'm done. Meals. Um, every time you do evangelism, every time you have new people coming in, they want to get to know you better. And one of the ways that people get to know you better is through food. And so they're going to want to they're going to want to participate in your potluck. The problem is that they're going to probably bring something that we don't eat. How are you going to handle that? You can you can you can offend somebody forever in the church if you handle this incorrectly. Here's what I would advise. 
Start marking all of your food right now. Buy those little, those little table toppers with the little cards on there. Mark vegan, mark uh, gluten-free, mark nuts, mark everything. Just mark it all. Why? Because as soon as a plate comes in and it's not quite what we eat, you're going to mark that too. And the guests are going to see that and they're going to think, oh, they're just marking it because everything, everything is marked. It's just letting everybody know. But you're letting, letting the Adventists know, don't, don't grab that. But you're treating it lightly. They're going to find out eventually, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, uh, they're going to come up to you and they're like, oh, Pastor, you know, the other day I, 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 uh, I, I brought pork. Um, uh, do you, you guys don't eat pork, do you? And then you can have that study with them. You can talk to them a little bit more about it, but, but it's not offensive. So careful how you do your, your, your food. Um, let me see, something, is there anything else here that I want to cover because I've, I'm out of time here? Um, that's it, uh, really. Um, I just want to, want to encourage you guys to just keep, keep working at it. Um, I'm so excited that you guys have, have a decision, I have made a decision to preach because that's what we're supposed to be doing in the last days. Um, if your church, again, has not, has not jumped on board, um, let us know. Let us know right away. I mean, we're running out of time to get you your stuff, but let us, let us know right away. We want to get you hooked up. We, 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 want, we want you to have the resources and materials that you need to, 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 get, uh, to be a part of, this, of these meetings in, in the fall. I'll, I'll conclude with this, with your customer service. Um, perception is their reality. What they believe is, is what the truth is. Doesn't matter what your intentions were. What they believe is what the truth is, and you have to work from that kind of paradigm. Uh, just make sure that, that you're thinking through a lot of these things and your facility and the way that you treat people, and I think that you're going you're gonna to have a fantastic time. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, uh, what a joy it is to be involved in ministry, Lord. And, and it is, there is a lot, you know, from the preaching and the resources and the, and the pre-work and, and the post-work and prepping and, and encouraging our people, but it, it, is, it is a joyful work. And now, Father, I'm praying that you will be with all the meetings that will happen in the fall here and all the work that's going, uh, going into it. You've asked us to preach the everlasting gospel. That's what you've asked us to do. And you've said that this, uh, this world's not going to come to an end until, until the gospel is preached. And, so, Father, we're asking that, uh, that you will bless these meetings, you will bless the speakers, bless the laity, and that you will bring the people to the meetings. You already have the, the thousands of folks out there, Lord. You've been working already, and so we're asking that you will bring them and that this will be successful. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.